0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
1: Most people are so busy in the business day-to-day, running it, keeping it going, selling, invoicing, collecting money, paying staff, doing all the day-to-day stuff, you don't have time to stop and plan around the exit. What's your exit strategy in 10 years' time? So that's the first part. Start as early as you can, begin with the end in mind, get a strategy around what the exit looks like.
0: Hi everyone,
2: thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. I am your host, Tyler Martin. I want every business owner to discover the freedom and wealth that comes from effectively scaling your business. In this podcast, we talk about key topics to growing and scaling your business. And with that, our guest today is Craig West. Craig is the founder and chairman of Succession Plus. This is a business succession and exit planning consulting firm in Australia. With over 20 years of experience advising business owners and a background as a CPA in public practice, Craig knows the ins and outs of strategic development, exit planning, and business succession. He believes there are 21 key steps involved in effective succession planning. Craig uses his innovative approach to help other business owners maximize business value and achieve a successful exit. In this episode, we talk about exit planning and strategic value drivers. Why the key to a successful business exit is to identify your value drivers. The importance of building a business that can run without you. And finally, why you need to begin with the end outcome in mind. Craig has a wealth of knowledge to share, so let's hear from him now. Hi, Craig, how you doing? Welcome to the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Thanks for having me yeah, yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Your expertise is an area that just is to me is so fascinating. It's one of the reasons that we we build businesses as business owners, and that's to hopefully someday uh, exit successfully, and that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I'd love to just start with, can you tell me a little bit about yourself what you do as it relates to succession planning and exit planning?
1: Yeah, sure. So my background is as a CPA in public practice, I own an accounting firm, and I had quite a lot of clients at that point, you know, this is over 20 years ago now, but I had a lot of clients at that point that were heading towards retirement. So getting older, starting to think about what they needed to do, and really as a CPA in practice, there wasn't a lot of tools or resources out there to help those people get ready to exit. You know, we handled the tax situation for them and worked out what, but that doesn't solve the problem. How do I get out? What's my business worth? What are my exit options? Can I sell it? If I sell it, who to? How do I prepare it? What are the documents need to look like? And I really find there was a real gap in the market around helping, you know, most of my clients were too big for a small business, main street type broker, but not big enough yet for the large investment banks or the private equity firms. So they were sort of in this middle spot, somewhere between sort of 5 and $50 million turnover and really didn't have access to expertise around how to get out. And so what I started to do was look around and learn and study. And I, I flew over to the States. I did some research in the UK just to find out what was available. And I didn't find much, to be honest. Uh, I did come across guys at the Exit Planning Institute, and I did their sepa uh, course, the Certified Exit Planning Advisor course, way back in 10, 12 years ago now. And that helped, but I really didn't have a detailed methodology. So I actually spent quite a few years then designing a methodology, 21-step process, five stages of value, exactly what business owners needed to do to get themselves, the business and their finances ready for an exit or succession event. And then I started Succession Plus and here we are, (laughs)
2: That's awesome. So, well, you know, you kind of had your own nightmare scenario. I hope hope I'm not overstating that. No, absolutely. But in terms of your own succession planning, can you share that? And that's kind of, I think, what teed up where your expertise ultimately led to.
1: Yeah, and that really gave me the focus to get it right. I just think, you know, here I was as a, you know, I would like to think reasonably smart CPA in public practice with two master's degrees who you know, through interaction with a firm of business coaches, a succession plan that went pretty badly wrong. You know, the, the accounting firm was sort of the hub of the business and they ended up merging in with IT Mortgage broking, property sales, financial planning and business coaching. And the whole business just imploded over sort of, you know, by the time I I used to own 100% of it, by the time I exited, I owned 35% of it and the business basically closed down. It went went broke, basically. Wow. Mainly because two things, we got into areas that I wasn't qualified to manage or run. And we grew really, really quickly without the capital or the base to actually the resource base to manage that. So that experience, firstly, it sort of shocked me a bit. I thought, bloody hell, how could you get that wrong? When you're an accountant in practice, you should know what you're doing. But it led me then to understand that exiting was actually quite an important piece of the puzzle. And there wasn't a lot out there in terms of advice or tools or techniques or even experts that were just focusing on that. So after I left the accounting firm, as I said, I did a lot of research and study and so on. And now all that my business does, whilst I'm still an accountant, we don't do any accounting work. All we do is succession and exit planning. And the idea is, you know, I'm pretty passionate about making sure people don't go through what I went through.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I, got, I have so many questions for you. Sure, You have this 21-point plan yep. that is built around succession planning. Before I get into that, I want to step back. Teach me a little bit. What is succession planning? In case someone, people in the audience are going like, what does this all
1: mean? Yeah, good question. I think there's a lot of misinformation in the marketplace. Uh Succession and exit planning for me is about getting three things right at the same time. So the business needs to be ready to transition both ownership and control. So that might mean passing it on to your children if it's a family business. It might mean selling it to your competitor up the road. It might mean an employee share plan where you exit to sell to your employees. It might mean bringing in a private equity firm or for larger businesses, it might even mean listing on a stock exchange. All those things are exits and there's a lot of preparation that needs to be done for any one of those exit options to work properly. The other part of it, so that's only one element, the business needs to be ready to transition. The other one is the owner's need to be ready as well, both personally and financially. So one of the big barriers is a lot of owners are very closely identified with their business. In fact, there's some research out of the States that talks about the fact that for baby boomers, exiting their business is a traumatic life event. Now, in my world, it should be a celebration, right? You should be getting a cheque for $5 million and retiring. Happy days. But for a lot of business owners, it's quite traumatic. And the last one is just financially, making sure that the business and the owner and the family... shareholders are robustly set up financially because what we're seeing now is baby boomers are living in retirement for 20, even 30-odd years. And so that's a different funding problem. You know, if you go back 100 years, certainly in Australia, and I'm sure it's true in the United States and everywhere else, retirement wasn't a big problem because no one lived long enough to worry about it. Right, right. 100 years ago, you were lucky to live till the day you retired. Most people died before that. And if you did retire, you maybe live for a couple of years that was the end of that. You didn't have a real funding problem because you can survive for a year or two. Now we've got people retiring for 20, 30 years. That takes a lot of capital and a lot of planning. You need to protect your assets. You need to think about who owns which assets and so on. So it sort of makes sense that those three things have to all be coordinated and they have to all be coordinated at the same time. Sometimes you see the owner's ready to exit, but the business is not in a condition where you can sell it or the business is ready, but you know the, the owner's finances aren't set up. So it's really just about getting those three things happening all at the right time.
2: Right. Real world question. Mm. Client comes to you, running a $3 million a year business. That might be a little small for you. I think I you said $5 yep. million, but for the sake of it, I'm going to say $3 million. $3 million business, very profitable business. They're providing services. The owner's not that involved, but he doesn't feel... That his staff is qualified to take over the business, and nor does he feel that he could find one person that could correlate uh, well to buy the business. What would you do in a situation like? Is there something that you can help in that, or what would you advise someone if they had that situation?
1: Yeah, and part of our process is actually looking at things like management succession, because if you want to exit, somebody has to run that business, whether it's one of your existing employees, whether it's a family member, or whether it's a buyer that comes in externally. But they have to be capable of running it, and they have to have the resources around them to run it. You know, if they're they're particularly strong at sales and marketing, they're probably not fantastic at finance and accounting. So you need a blend of skills. You need the right people around you. So one of the key learnings is these these transactions or these preparation steps take time. If you've got a business where you've got somebody who you know could run the business in three or four years time, what do they need to do? Is there a course they need to do on accounting? Do they need to do some experience-based stuff to get qualified? Is there is there something else that needs to happen in terms of preparation? I've got a client at the moment who's got a fantastic general manager, but he's not very experienced financially. Mm -hmm. Now, we've got three to five years. So firstly, if you've got enough time, you can fix that. That's the first lesson. The second thing is I've just said to my client, every single meeting you have, every single phone call you have with your bank, your accountant, your mortgage broker, or anything else to do with finances, he needs to be involved in those conversations and he'll learn. And we're also sending him off to do a few courses and a, a bit of education so that in three to five years' time, He'll be pretty well equipped to do that. Now, if we had to rush that and we only had six months, you can't do that. You don't have time to fix it. And that's where people go wrong. Often they're trying to rush through an exit or succession event and therefore some of the opportunity gets missed.
2: Yeah. What what do you find the most when someone comes to you? Is there a most common shortcoming in their business or something that needs to be addressed? Do you see a, is it all over the map? Or is there a repeatable thing that tends to sh- rare its ugly face?
1: No, I think there's probably two key things that I see. One is they don't think about or prepare for exit. Yeah. Most people are so busy in the business day-to-day running it, keeping it going, selling, invoicing, collecting money, paying staff, doing all the day-to-day stuff. You don't have time to stop and plan around the exit. What's your exit strategy in 10 years time? So that's the first part. Start as early as you can. Begin with the end in mind. Get a strategy around what the exit looks like. The other one is most, and this is a very generic comment, but my most... Anglo-Saxon male baby boomers are control freaks (laughs) and therefore the business is built entirely around them. It doesn't operate when they're not there. Staff don't have the empowerment to go and do what they need to do. And so the business is key person dependent. And that, unfortunately, you can't sell that business. You can't transfer it. It's a job. You know, unless you're playing soccer for Manchester United, you can't sell a job. You're locked in. So you've really got to get the business to be working independently of you.
2: Yeah, those would make a lot of sense. Now, when a client comes to you, let's use that example, and you know, they're really stuck in the weeds of the business. They're the yep. they're doing everything or all the key things. Do you still take that client on and give them, give them a very open conversation of how things need to change? Are they more pliable at that point? Well, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, what we do with every single client, we run what we call an insights report, which includes a business valuation, but it's a lot more than that. It's an analysis of all the different factors in the business structure. We look at the financial performance. We look at benchmarking and cash flow and and actually come up with a valuation. But we also look at risk. So we, we have about 150 questions around the business operations. And we try and establish how dependent is it on the owner? Does it have a corporate governance structure? Is there a board of directors? What systems do they use for their IT? How do they reward employees? Is there a bonus scheme or an employee equity plan? Is their HR system up to speed? Have they got all their structures in place around basic policies and procedures? Does everyone in the business know what needs to be done each day without the owner being there? And what that does is really crystallise for the owner exactly where they're at. Now, it's a difficult conversation conversation more than 50% of the time because what you're doing is saying your baby's really ugly. (laughs) I'm thinking the
2: exact same thing.
1: (laughs) You got this baby and no one likes to hear the fact that their baby's ugly, right? But that's what you're saying to the business owner. Look, you might think you got this fantastic business. And I've had people tell me, you know, my business is worth between eight and 10 million dollars. And when I value it, I say, well actually it's worth two or three and it can't be sold at the moment because it's all dependent on you. Now no one likes that's that's your baby's really, really ugly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. No one likes to hear that, yeah. but it's a really good reality check. And the, the big issue is we support that with a stack of information. This report's like 55 pages long wow. and it ticks off every single risk in the business, every single factor that from a buyer's point of view is going to reduce the value. Now, that's a pretty difficult conversation up front, but it's a great conversation because the next step is, okay, let's work through and fix those things. We yeah. know what we've got to do. You're currently worth $3 million. You want to be worth 8 We know what we have to do to get to that point. Now, that's going to take three, four, five years, but the difference is $5 million. So even if you spend, I don't know, $100,000 a year for the next five years, you're going to spend half a million dollars fixing all these things, you're picking up $5 million in value. It's a 10 times return on investment. Any business owner with half a brain is going to agree that that's a good return, but they've got to commit to it and they've got to have the time to do it properly. So that initial valuation, it's not negotiable with us. We do it with every single client, even clients that walk in and they have a fantastic business that's ready to sell. We still do it because we need to look at it from the point of view of a buyer. That's the biggest problem. You know, most business owners look at their business from the point of view of an owner and they love it because it's their baby. But when you look at it from a buyer's point of view, it's not great. And therefore, you start to identify what are these gaps, what are the things we should work on that actually really drive value. And I guess that's the other key point, a lot of business owners don't know what actually drives value. The things they work on and focus on maybe not the highest priority items.
0: If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the Meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business.
1: And I guess that's the other key point. A lot of business owners don't know what actually drives value. The things they work on and focus on may be not the highest priority items.
2: Yeah. Now, I'm sure we've covered a few of them, but if you could pull a couple key ones out, you have 21 key steps around yep. effective succession. Can you talk about a few points that, that maybe ones we haven't covered, if that there are some duplicate ones? Yeah. Look,
1: I think there's a theme here. The first thing is most business owners are, by nature, entrepreneurial risk takers. Yeah. Right? They, they love sales. They love growing. They've got all these ideas. They They grab the shiny ball and run with it and get distracted from the main game. And so that's the first thing is, you know, what do you actually do? Is it a niche and you just get focused on being really, really good at that? That's the lesson from my own succession plan. You know, we had a really good accounting business that turned into a mess because we went into six other businesses all at once. Tough. Like it's just distraction, not focus. So that's the first thing. The second thing in the, is now most businesses are heavily reliant on key people. So how do you engage those people? How do you lock them in? We use a lot of employee share plans to do that. So we're not necessarily selling the business to an employee share plan, but we might be selling 20% of it to the key employees so that they're really locked in and they're aligned with the owner to help grow it and improve it. And the other side then is just thinking about it in reverse to what most business owners do, and that is thinking about risk. How do I reduce risk in my business? In any asset, in any investment, whether it's share market, property, private business, cash or bonds or anything else, risk is the other Part of the formula: risk and reward. You know, the reward's easy. Most business owners see the reward, but they don't see the risk. And so, it's about thinking about what are the risks in my business. What are the things that a buyer is going to look at and not like, or that a buyer is going to look at and is going to reduce my price? And that's obviously quite an important sort of factor that most business owners don't tend to go down that path because it's counterintuitive for them. Most of them are risk takers. They're entrepreneurial. They're happy to have a go at something and hopefully it'll work out all right. But When you're selling an asset, that's not necessarily the right approach or the best approach to take. Right. And the other part of it then is, you know, you've just got to think about what is it that actually drives real value in a business? I used to get so frustrated as an accountant because without a doubt, the most common question I got asked was, can you reduce the tax? It's what everybody wanted to know. Every business owner that came in. We're
2: trained to think that way. I've
1: done your numbers. You know, you've got a tax bill this year of $200,000. I go, oh my God, can't you reduce that? And I'd say, real is that is that your number one concern? You want to pay less tax? And I get it. Everyone wants to pay less tax, right? Sure. But sure. what they should be asking is, how do I make that a $10 million business? How do I grow the value? How do I make more money? How do I improve? How do I expand it? And so finding the strategic value drivers in a business is actually the critical thing to work out what do I really have here that adds significant value that means when I exit, I'm going to get a big payout.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I want to step back to something. You mentioned an employee share plan as being one of the options. Now, a lot of times business owners will have a key employee or a couple of them and they'll just give them some stock or they'll, you know, they'll go to their business attorney and say, Hey, I just want to give them a few shares. And it's probably in the grand scheme of things, not super meaningful. What's the advantage of putting it into a share plan and doing it that way? Why would someone want
1: to do that? Yeah, look, certainly here, and I know in the United States and the UK as well, there are some generous tax concessions for employee share plans. Ours are different yours. The UK is different again. But overall, most governments around the world have recognised that employee equity is a good thing and there's some fairly good tax concessions around. So it's a fairly tax-effective way to reward employees. It's actually not, that's not actually as important as the psychology of ownership. Yeah. So if you think about employees, there's always been a little bit of a, a clash in the relationship. There's a little bit of friction in that relationship. Right, right. The employee wants more. The, you know, There's issues around us and them and all those sorts of things. Now, as soon as you become a shareholder, a lot of that friction is removed because now as an employee, I'm vested in making your business more successful, more profitable, and more valuable because if I do that for you, I'm doing it for me as well. Suddenly, we've got ownership and employees aligned in what they're trying to do. And so forget the tax and the accounting and the financial and legal aspects from a psychology point of view. If you can get your employees to think and act like a business owner, that dramatically changes performance. And so we use employee share plans to to do that and bring in key people, lock, lock them in is the first thing so they don't leave. Secondly, align them with the owners so they're focused on the same goal and outcome. And then you get these improvements in performance and so on.
2: Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, one of the things you mentioned as far as what doesn't work is cutting your taxes necessarily isn't the, best, yeah. the most effective way to drive value. Are there some other things that come to the top of your head that maybe people might think they work, but they're really not that important in the grand scheme of things?
1: Yeah, I think you, when you talk to business owners about how to grow value, you know, if you just ask the next 100 business owners you talk to, how do you improve the value of your business? They will nearly all say grow. And grow means more sales right? And that's okay. It can grow the value of business, but it's not the easiest way for sure. So we're so focused on growing turnover. And, you know, I see so many business owners, they give you last year's financials and next year has to be 10% higher. So the sales target goes up 10%, the profit goes up. You go, actually, you can have a very valuable business that just stays at a $5 million turnover and $1 million profit. The key thing is to think about some of the key drivers of value. So for example, two businesses that turn over $5 million and make $1 million profit could be valued completely differently if one has recurring revenue every single month coming in, no new sales, just constantly turns over $500,000 a month or whatever it is, and the other one has to make new sales all the time. That's a very costly business. It's quite difficult. The income's not as predictable. The cash flow is not as certain. Therefore, the valuation's not as great. So starting to look at business models and thinking about, can I turn some part of my revenue, instead of worrying about growing it, can I turn it into recurring revenue where it just comes in every single month? The other side of it then is all the other things around risk and value. So sort of looking at how do I make this business a really finely tuned operating machine? It doesn't have to grow. I might stay at $5 million, but if I can get far more efficient, far more productive, systemized, automation, IT throughout the place, you will end up with a better performing business. And then, lastly, and probably the most important point, is what's the strategic value in your business? So, in every business, there's some kind of strategic value. It's normally an intangible asset, right? If we look at, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, it's the herbs and spices, you know, McDonald's, all those large businesses have these intangible assets. And, you know, the probably the best example is to look at a business like Apple, right? One of the most valuable companies in the world. They are constantly making acquisitions. And the acquisitions they make, they're not buying customers. They don't need more customers. Half the world buys their product. They don't, but what they do need is innovation and ideas. So every time they buy something, It's a new technology or it's a new, you know, the speech engine that drives Siri was an acquisition years ago. Now, the company that had it had this really valuable piece of technology, but they couldn't leverage it. Suddenly, Apple buys it. It's in every single device you buy. You can't uninstall it. It's like it's part of the gig. So just looking at your business and saying, what are my intangible assets? Is there some process or recipe or formula or something you do that is different to everyone else? that makes your business far more valuable. Those businesses sell for far more.
2: Now, is that where they've actually gone through the whole process of creating like intellectual property, whether it be a patent or whatever? Is that a critical step to it? Or can it be they have something that's not necessarily gone through the whole protection process, I'll say?
1: Yeah, I think you have to first identify what it is you've got. Okay. And most businesses have got something like this, but some of them haven't identified it. So firstly, what is it? Okay. How's it documented? How's it protected? You're right. You know, Have they got a patent on it? Do they own the trademark or the brand that sits underneath it? All those sorts of things are what we do then to say, okay, you can spend as long as you like trying to grow your sales, but if you patent that idea, you trademark it, you brand it, you lock it up, you protect it, that will actually be more valuable to you than growing your sales in that in that sort of example. And so that's a good example of just identifying what that asset might be. And then how do we actually make it more valuable and then more attractive to someone like Apple to come in and buy it? If you can do that, happy days. Yeah, yeah. They'll pay far more because they've got far more leverage over that intangible asset. They can do far more with it than any small business ever will be able to.
2: Some takeaways here in my head, what I'm hearing you say. The earlier you start, the better in terms of thinking about someday exiting. The sooner you do it, I think the the better chance you have of being able to exit when you want it. That's number one. Number two is really look for things that are unique to your company, uh, whether that be intellectual property or branding or whatever it is. Really look for that. A big one was get out of the weeds of your business. We didn't use that exact term, but control freak. Exactly right. Stare away from that. These are some big things I'm hearing. I also... Some of the smaller things that we focus around, and I think we overemphasize on them, is is uh, cost cutting. I know we talked about that a lot of times. People think cost cutting is is like this great thing. Sometimes it's just a waste of time. It's it's inconsequential yeah. to the overall value. Cutting your taxes isn't necessarily a good thing. So a lot of good stuff there. Hey, I've got a few, a couple more questions, fun ones. I'd like to end with. Sure. You, you've been a wealth of knowledge. First one, I know we talked about you like to read. I'd love to know if you have a book that you either read or you're reading that that you could share with us.
1: Yeah, look, I read a lot. I've just finished a doctoral thesis on using employee share plans for succession. So I've read a lot of stuff. That's right? hardcore. <laughs> it is hardcore. And I wouldn't suggest you read yeah. that because it's a massive document. Go easy on us. <laughs> exactly. But I have just finished reading a book about, it's, it's actually called Beyond Engagement. Okay. It's by a guy called Corey Rosen, who's based in the, uh, the National Center for Employee Ownership in, uh, in the United States. Uh, And I actually, I've interviewed Corey before. I've spoken to him several times as part of my academic research. So it's just called Beyond Engagement by Corey Rosen. And it says, how to make your business an ideas factory. It's all about using employee ownership and that mindset, not so much the structure, but the psychology of ownership to create innovation and an ownership culture within your business. It's really worth looking at.
2: Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, I was speaking with a client the other day and she has a few employees that exhibit they own their role really well. And she's all, well, you know, do you think I should make them owners? And I, we were having this discussion. It was a great discussion. But I think in her mind, she was thinking like, given the fact that they own their role, that somehow that in itself means they should become an owner. And I thought it was just an interesting discussion. We we didn't really come to any conclusions or anything because it was really, we were just having a, an informal chat. Yeah. But it made, as you bring this up, it makes me think that, what's your opinion? Do you think, If done right, don't you, and you hire the right staff and you develop them, it's definitely not a bad idea to have your key people as owners, but you also should expect from your staff to have an ownership mentality, regardless of whether they're owners. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think you can expect staff to have that kind of mentality, but if you really want to drive it, Uh then the best way to have people think and act like an owner is make them an owner because then they are an owner and they will think about it. You know, it, it does change their approach and their psychology around the business and their relationship with it.
2: That's great. That's great feedback. Okay, cool. It's a great book. I'll definitely read it. I haven't heard of that one, so I can't wait to read that. Yeah, it's great. Now, the other one, I'd love to know if you could leave us with either a life tip or a business tip that from your own learnings or your own things that you've experienced that we could apply.
1: Yeah, I think I said it before. In My number one tip is begin with the end in mind mm-hmm. and make every decision you make in running your business should be mapped towards your exit plan. So are you, is that decision I'm making to employ that person or buy that piece of equipment or expand into that different area, getting me closer to my exit goal or further away from it? If it's getting you further away from it, wrong decision. Don't do it. Everything should be mapped towards how do I get to my exit outcome.
2: I love that. That's a good one. That's a great one. I'll give that some consideration too in my own life.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Hey, I'll put these in the show notes, but I'd, I'd love for folks listening. Succession.plus is your website. Succession.plus right. is your website. Beautiful website. I, I looked at it. It talks about the 21 points. We we'd covered some of them here. Craig, if anybody wanted to reach out to you other than your website, is there anywhere else anywhere else you'd like them to go?
1: Yeah, look, my email is just cwest at succession.plus. I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, but our website's got a whole stack of content. If you download it and tick a box that you want to catch up with an advisor, we'll put you in touch with someone. Happy to talk to you and see how we can help.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much for taking your time to be with us today. You shared a ton of information. So it's great to
1: have you. Good on you. Thanks heaps. Have a good day.
0: You too.
2: Electrocast transform your influence.
1: Electrocast. Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the Best Business Network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electric Podcasts and
0: hear the culture. Electric Ask. Electric